Sandy Fentress, raise your hand. Stand up, please. 50 years she's tolerated Tom. 50 years, 50 years. I was, uh, this past week, my mom and dad celebrated their 60th wedding anniversary. And, um, <clears throat> and so we, uh, we had sent up a banner to put out on the highway, and I've gotten several texts from people driving through the area. Hey, is that your mom and dad? Uh, we tooted the horn as we, as we passed by because we thought it might be, but uh, that's a long time, isn't it? That's a blessing. It's a commitment, and it's God's grace. And so thank you guys for setting uh, an example. That's what I had written to mom and dad. Thank you for setting an example for us because life isn't always easy. It's not, it's always, not, always, the, it's not always rosy. And uh, we'll celebrate a wedding in this place this afternoon, and it'll be transformed over a couple of hours, but we'll celebrate a wedding. And that's, I think that's one of the things that it's going to be said. Listen, marriage is great. But it's a lot of work sometimes, but what a great blessing. And uh, we want to celebrate with the Lucases this afternoon as Zach and uh, Kenzie get married. But uh, anyway, I pray that you've had a good week this week. Don, good week. Steve, good week. Married to sharing this every day. Every day is a good day, isn't it? That's what I like to say. I want you to turn to the book of Philippians. We're going to be there today. Let me say this about uh, the ending of our service. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper if you do not have one of the packets, um, you didn't get one coming in, you can, you can raise your hand. And we've got some people that are, that are passing out some packets. We've got several inside this morning. And uh, they'll, be, they'll be passing these out. Um, one of the things that I encourage you to do is to take that little top and bend it. Don't open it up now, but just bend it so you'll be ready for that time as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. It's a privilege for us to be able to do that as we remember Jesus' sacrifice. I also want to say, listen, there are, other, there are other things going on beside women's Bible studies on Wednesday night. Dottie, here there's men's Bible studies. And I just want you to know we have more men than women. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Just want you to know that. Any comments? You're thinking, aren't you? You better start recruiting up. Um, on a serious side, listen, we, tr Shh, better watch out. Oh, you don't brag. Oh, I know that's not good. But, um, on a serious note, we want to provide opportunities for you to be able to spend time in God's word. And those times are great. I mean, we can laugh and fun, but there are lots of conversations that happen around those tables more than anything else. It's not just being in God's word. It's being together with God's people and talking about his word, which is so important. So if you're not a part of that, We'd love for you to join us either online or in person. We'd love for you to be uh, and, and join us. We have been in a series. We're going to finish up today a series called Follow, Follow Me. And in this series, if you've happened to miss something, you want to go back and pick it up, you can pick it up online on the website or on social media. There's multiple places to pick up what we've done in our services. But throughout this series, we have been talking about, um, and one of the questions we've asked ourselves is, are you following Jesus? Can, can you just repeat that question? Are you following Jesus? And then the question is, are you following Jesus? We've not asked you if, if you've gone to church. We've not asked you if you were raised in the church. We've not asked you if you've been baptized. We've not asked you if you're invi involved in a women's Bible study or men's Bible study or if you serve in a specific area using your gifts and talents. But the question that we've asked and we've continued to go back time and time again is, are you 
following Jesus. Because following Jesus isn't a religion and it's not a system of do's and don'ts, but it's a relationship that begins when we come to the place of recognizing who Jesus is and what he did, that he, that he willingly gave his life on Calvary for us to be a sacrifice for our sins. It's coming to that place and recognizing that there's an invitation that has been offered to all of us, not some, but all of us. Even those of us that struggle to believe, those of us that are, that, are, that, are, that are doubtful of what's going on, that invitation has still been given to us for us to come to know Christ and to trust him and to follow him. And um, when, we choose, when we choose to make that decision to follow Christ, when we accept that invitation, we do so by faith and by trust. And what happens is that as we enter into that relationship with Christ, prayerfully what takes place uh, um, is through our experience and through time, our relationship grows and it matures like it would any other relationship, Sharon. But you know, talking about time, we live in some really different times right now, don't we? It seems like there's such a, an unsettledness, a sense of anxiousness that we all are, are hearing. Um, things are changing so fast, it seems like every day there's something else that just speeds up the anxious meter inside of us, the tensions and the uncertainties. Um, and so how, how do we, how are we supposed to live if we're following Jesus in these times? How are we supposed to respond when, when man, I mean CNN and all these news stations are just throwing it out here and, you know, how are we supposed to live in that? How are we supposed to live when, when we're at work and we hear all these conversations about, well, did you hear this? I can't believe this is going to happen. And what, you know, how are we supposed to respond as followers of Christ? I want to share with you just briefly before we get to Philippians what Jesus had to say when he was talking about his return in signs of the times. This is what Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 21, verse 26. He said, people will be terrified at what they see coming upon the earth. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. There are going to be people that are terrified about what's going on, what they're hearing, what they're experiencing, and there's going to be this sense of, ah. But just a few verses later, this is what he went on to say in verse 28. So when all these things begin to happen, stand and look up for your salvation is near. In other words, instead of running around being fearful and afraid and having all these conversations about, can you believe this is happening? Can you believe this is going on? I mean, he's already told us that's what's going to happen in the scriptures. So we don't have to respond in fear, but we can stand up and straighten up and look up. That instead of being bent over in fear and despair and living in a sense with a sense of hopelessness, we can stand up knowing that in the midst of the chaos and the, cry, in the, in the chaos and the crisis that's going on, man, that we know the ending of the story, that Jesus is on the throne and we don't have to be fearful or afraid that we can live even in this time with a sense of confidence. You know, Brian and I had lunch this, this past week. Maybe I should say little Brian and big Brian, so little Brian... Little Brian, I guess, Big Brian. Maybe it's older and younger. I don't know which one. But Brian and I were having lunch this past week with, with some uh, part of our church family, one of our church family uh, who's a widow. And, and in the midst of the conversation, it came up about it was the anniversary of their wife's passing three years earlier. And he went on to tell us that um, when they were at the hospital, she had been sick for a long period of time. And uh, in the midst of this time was different because she had become sort of inoculated or I guess uh, the, the antibiotics weren't going to work. She just had so many that this time they knew it just wasn't going to work. And so in a conversation, the doctor pulled Mike aside and he said, Mike, I just want you to know that Paula's it's not good. She's not going to make it. 
And they knew, they knew that time was short. And Mike went in and he said, honey, I, I, I want you to know that you're going to get to see Jesus. You're going to get to see Jesus. And he said that on her face there was a smile that just, that just came upon her face. And it wasn't long after that that she faded out and went quiet. You know, and, and, and how in the world, how in the world do you face death with a smile on your face? And I, I'm reminded of the words in Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. For he will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and he will wipe every tear from their eye and there will be no more death and no more sorrow and no more crying and no more pain for all these things are gone forever. And man, in those moments when, when, when crisis seems to hit and the chaos seems to hit, we just need to be reminded of the ending of the story. To be reminded that there is coming a day when there will be no more tear and no more sorrow and no more suffering and no more pain and no more death. But instead of being overwhelmed in those times that because we follow Jesus, there can be a sense of peace that happens because we know him. And so I say that today because I want to bring us now back to the book of um, for Paul's letter in the book of Philippians, and I want to read. I want us to read a little bit of these letters today and talk about them as we make our way towards the Lord's Supper and celebrating because we have so much to be thankful for, don't we? So much to be thankful for. And so here's Paul. Paul is writing, and he's writing to the believers there at uh, Philippi. And I want you to, to see what he has to say in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, and that's where we'll begin and as he's, as he's writing to them, the followers of Christ there, this is what he says. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice that as God's children, as we follow Jesus, that we are to rejoice and to be thankful. To realize that when Paul penned these words, where was he at? Where was Paul at? I mean, was he on a remote island someplace? I mean, was he just enjoying life? Where was Paul at? He was in prison, for goodness sakes, and here he is saying, rejoice, and you're to be thankful. I mean, he's telling us from a prison cell to be thankful and to rejoice. And he wasn't saying, look, rejoice and be thankful when things are going well and things are going your way, when you get that raise or when the kids are doing what they're supposed to do. But Paul was saying, look, he commands those believers there to rejoice. And Paul is saying, rejoice be thankful, be joyful, because we have so much to be thankful for. Not only for who we are in Christ, but also what we have in Christ. It's just so easy to get caught up in the midst of the sufferings of this world and to be overwhelmed. When's the last time you've just paused? When's the last time you've just taken some time out to reflect and just to remember? To go back and to consider, man, who is it that your daddy is, that he sits on the throne? That's where he's at, that he's large and in charge, that our heavenly father loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for us, and he just didn't demonstrate his love while we were doing what he wanted us to do, but he demonstrated his love even in our unfaithfulness and our sinfulness. 
And then Jesus would be crucified. He would be buried in a tomb, but he wouldn't stay there. But he would be resurrected from the grave to show that he was truly the Son of God. And then he would be ascended to heaven. But before he was ascended to heaven, it was Jesus that would say that he was going to leave us the Holy Spirit that would be with us and walk with us until the day that he returned. And here's Paul saying, listen, I want to remind you guys, you have so much to rejoice over. You have so much to be joyful over. You have so much to be thankful for. And then he goes on to say in verse 5, let every one of you see that you are considerate in all that you do. And what does he say? Remember the Lord's coming soon. That is God's children is done who's following Christ, that we are to be considerate. That word considerate means can be translated into several different words gentleness or yieldedness, that when there's things that are going on, it doesn't impact us like it might impact some people, but it describes the attitude of a person who doesn't get bent out of shape because he knows that whatever he faces, that God is there among him. The Lord is there and he's involved. It's that sense of calm and peace and assurance and patience that happens as a result of our trust in Christ. That just because, man, things aren't going the way that I want them to go, it doesn't have to dictate my attitude. Because you know why? Because there's a sense of security. There's a sense of, of knowing that God's got it under control. And here's Paul again writing these words from prison. You know, it's amazing what we can endure when there's hope. Whatever situation you may be facing, it's amazing what we can endure when there is hope. And we know that we're loved. But regardless of our attitude, that attitude is on display to the world. But when we live with the thought that Jesus is coming back, how much do we have to rejoice over? Because whatever circumstance that we, it may be that we're facing, when Jesus returns, he's going to make it all right. No more tear, no more suffering, no more pain, no more sorrow, and no more death. And then he goes to write one of my favorite passages of Scripture in the, in the Bible. Don't worry about a thing, but pray about everything. Tell him what you need and thank him for what he has done. Y'all like that, didn't you? How about saying that with me? Don't worry about a thing. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he has done. And here's another command. Don't worry about what? What is anything? Nothing. That's what it is. Anything is nothing. Don't have to worry about nothing. Nothing, honey. I don't have to worry about anything. All I have to do is, he says, don't worry about it. What am I supposed to do? He says, I'm supposed to pray about it. You know, when I, when I go back as a child, I don't remember worrying about a lot of things as a child. I don't know about you, but growing up as a child, I didn't worry about a lot of things. Jessica seemed like everything that that I needed was taken care of. My mom and dad took care of us. Sort of changed as you get older, though. You wean yourself away, and then all of a sudden you've got relationships, and you've got family, and you've got finances, and you've got jobs, and you've got children. And What if we were to live the rest of our days and not worry? What if it were like going back and we trusted? And you might say, that's impossible, Sid. You might say it's impossible. I don't think that's what the Scripture says. It's not only 
It's not only possible, but that's how our Heavenly Father wants us to live. Not worrying, but believing and trusting that God's got it taken care of. I'm not saying that there's not going to be hardships, and I'm not saying that there's not going to be troubles and difficulties. That's not what we're saying. But in those times, we can lift up our head, we can stand up and look up because we know that the Lord is near. And we know that we can trust him in whatever situation it may be. We know the ending of the story. We know whose we are. And we know what Christ has done for us. And he says, instead of worrying, instead of being anxious, instead he says here to pray, to pray about everything, tell God what you need and thank him for what he has done. Instead of worrying and get bent out of shape because things aren't going, here's Paul saying we are to be prayerful in everything. Consciously, intentionally, Instead of trying to solve the problem, instead of trying to manipulate the situation, we're supposed to take it to the Lord in prayer. Now, let me ask this question. How many of you have ever given your, your teenager something to do, or child something to do, and, um, or let's just say an employee, and after giving it to them, you spent all your time worrying about whether or not it had been done or not? You ever done that? It might be something simple like make sure the garage door is shut, make sure the lights are turned off, make sure to turn the stove off, you know. It could be a job that's similar that you give an employee, and, and yet instead of trusting that it's done, you sit back and you worry. You worry. There's a sense of worry because of, of you, just, you just are, just maybe it just didn't happen. On the other hand, have you ever had a time where you've given somebody, maybe your teenager, something to do, or have you given an employee, and you never think another thing about it because you know and you're assured that it's going to take place because you know that they're dependable and they're trustworthy? Let's think about this in relationship to what Paul is saying because how many times do we pray, do we ask God for something, and we return and we're still anxious, and we pick that prayer back up and we worry about it? I mean, think about that. And in essence, what we're saying is that I don't trust God Have you ever thought about that? I mean, how many times do we treat God like an immature teenager or an unfaithful employee? I mean, I'm doubting, I'm wondering. I mean, is God even paying attention? Does he hear me? But but in, in God, if God is faithful, we don't have to be anxious. But instead, we can pray with confidence knowing that he'll take care of it. I mean, it can be tough, especially when things aren't going to his plan. But when we try to handle it or we try to manipulate it to solve the problem, what we're, what we're saying is that, is that that's not trustworthy. And what we're, what we're demonstrating is an, air, an attitude of arrogance. I mean, well, God, since you don't take care of it, I'll take care of it. And none of us sitting in this room have ever done that, have you? But that's what we're saying. Paul says, but don't worry about a thing, but pray about everything Tell him what you need and thank him for what he has done. And then Paul goes on to write there in verse 7, then, after you do these things, then you will experience God's what? God's peace. Have you experienced peace this past week? If not, why? Paul said, listen, pray about everything. Tell him what you need. Thank him for what he has done. Then you will Have you not had peace this week? I wonder why. He said God's peace which exceeds anything that we can understand. It's hard to grasp. It's hard to understand. His peace will guard our hearts and our minds as we live in Christ Jesus. As 
Christ's followers and his, and his children of the king, we can experience peace. And when we talk about peace, we're not talking about the absence of conflict. We're not talking about um, there, there's no problems that are happening in our life. But we're talking about a peace that comes from recognizing God's omnipotence, God's omniscience, the fact that God is all-powerful, God is in control, and that God is all-knowing. Do you think that ever, do you, do you ever think that God sits on the throne and goes, oh my goodness gracious, I never saw that coming? Mm -mm. No. First John chapter 3, verse 20, God knows everything. He is in control. He not only knew the day that you would be born, he knows the day that you'll take your last breath. The Bible says the Lord is the one who numbers our days. I love in reference to God being all-knowing his omniscience that in Isaiah 40, 14, it says this, you know, has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? Does he need instruction about what is good? Did someone teach him what is right and show him the path to justice? But no, when we believe that God is in control and that God is all-knowing, there's a sense of of peace that we can have because we can trust him. It was Jesus that said in John 14, 27, I'm leaving you a gift, a peace of mind and heart and a peace that I give you that the gift the world, the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. See, you know, I don't know why it is we think that the things of the world will bring us peace. You know, if I can just, doesn't last, does it? The smell of a new vehicle wears off really quickly. And then all of a sudden you hit face to face with that little bill that comes in a little bit later. You owe me. It doesn't work. That new house, that new spouse, because the other one didn't seem to work the way you wanted them to work, doesn't bring peace. Peace comes in knowing Jesus and trusting him. And you say, well, that's just impossible. There's no way for us to experience that. But it is possible, and that's what our Heavenly Father wants for us. And look at what he says as he finishes up in Philippians chapter 4, there verse 8. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about, think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And then he says in verse 9, keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. You know, as children of the king and as followers of Jesus, we're to be thinking about those things that are praiseworthy. Let me tell you something, regardless if you're a Christ follower or not, there's a battle that wages for your mind. And you've got to figure out and you've got to think through what is it you're going to set your attention and your focus and your mind on. I mean, am I going to dwell on all this stuff that's going on? Am I going to let the focus of my attention be all about this disease that's happening? I mean, the reality is it's here, but is that going to be the focus of my attention? Is the focus of my attention going to be on an election? Is the focus of my attention going to be on a war that's taking place in some place? Or, or, or maybe the, the weather that seems to be going crazy? What is my focus and my attention going to be on? What am I going to dwell on? The issues that are causing the stress and the tension, but God said, that isn't what I want you to dwell on because those things are so far outside of your control anyway. But I want you to know that I hear you. See, when you pray to me, I want you to know that I hear you and I've got it. 
And though even though things may not be going the way that you want, I want you to rest assured that I'm on it. I know what I'm doing. So let go. Trust me and rejoice. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure. And look at words. In other words, set our attention. Focus on the things that are true, not false. Honorable, not dishonorable. Right, not wrong. Pure, not impure. Lovely, not repulsive. Commendable, not wrong. What's excellent, not filthy. Focus on what's admirable, not what's shameful. I mean, we're to consider and focus and to ponder on those things that are virtuous, virtuous things, praiseworthy things in this life. And God says, listen, out of all the stuff, that's what I want you to focus on. As you choose to follow him, get your mind off of all the stuff that seems to distract and discourage you and train yourself to fix your thoughts and your affections on me. And Paul said, listen, those things that you've learned from me, this is a pretty bold statement. I want you to put them into practice. That's a bold statement. While everybody is stressing out with what's going on, I want you to be rejoice, and I want you to be thankful, and I want you to be considerate. I want you to, to live a life that is yielded to me because this life that's yielded to me, other people are going to see you living that life, and they're going to take notice. When you're facing the obstacles, I don't want you to worry, but I want you to pray. I want you to tell God what you need, and I want you to thank Him for what He's done because He is dependable and because He is trustworthy. Set your eyes and affections and your thoughts and your focus on those things. You know, I have to believe that it blesses the Lord when we, there's a sense of peace in our lives. Now, don't you believe that? I mean, when there's a sense of peace, I mean, it, it has to bring attention to him because instead of looking down, instead of, instead of getting involved and getting caught up, what we do is we, we look up to him, we stand up, we look up to him because we say, God, in this I know you got it, that regardless of how difficult it may be, I know that I can trust you. You're trustworthy. But if I'm honest, man, life doesn't always go that way, does it? I mean, because there are times that we are going to doubt, and there are times that we're going to struggle, and there are going to be times that I find myself messing it up, that my attitude's not one of rejoicing, but it's whining. We got any whiners in the house? You don't know, maybe I should have said people that don't tell the truth. It's easy to whine, isn't it? It's easy to complain, but here he is. We are supposed to be thankful we're supposed to give praise, not find ourselves with stinking thinking. <laughs> and yet, in spite so many times of my immature actions, my Heavenly Father gives grace. Come on, Sid. You've got to get your attitude right. You're not thinking right. And Paul said, I want you to think on these things. And today, I'm reminded that all of us have so much to be thankful for, don't we? A lot. It was on the Isle of Patmos that John would write the book of Revelation from a vision that he would receive from the Lord. And part of that he would write to the churches, but what it was also written there is also applicable for us. And one of the churches that he wrote to was the church of Sardis. And here with this was a church that had a reputation for being very active, but now it was struggling and it was dead because of the sin of many. 
But even though everything looked good on the outside and they were going along with the religious activities, okay, hear what I'm telling you, hear what I'm saying. Even though things looked good on the outside, there were those on the inside that were like going through the motions. And the warning there was to repent and turn back to God. And in spite of the sin of many, there were still those uh, group that remained faithful. And Paul was writing, or or John, when he was writing what he had saw in Revelation chapter 3, this is what John wrote. He said, wake up. Wake up. Strengthen what little remains. Wake up. Don't fall into this, this pattern of being distracted and your affections becoming misplaced. Don't become lazy. Because things have been going well. But wake up. Straighten up. And I want you to raise your head. And I want you to rejoice in me. Because of all the things that I've done. And because of all that I've done. And who I am. I want you to be able to take a breath. And experience peace. Experience peace. And see for some today this might be a turning point. Because... You know, you've been going through, like at the church of Sardis, you've been going through some religious activities. I mean, you've been going through the motions, and yet you've become lazy, and you've become distracted, and you have, you have become displaced. And today the call is for us as Christ followers to wake up and to straighten up and to strengthen ourselves, to rejoice in the Lord And his followers, our heavenly father is saying, listen, find peace in me. Find peace in me and let me me handle it. Stop being anxious with all the stuff that's going on right now and let me take care of it. Just give it to me. And when you give it to me, don't take it back. But give it to me and let me handle it. I want you to enjoy I want you to enjoy my presence. And I hear, I hear the Father, Father's voice saying, are you following Jesus? Fix your thoughts on what's true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and praise, worthy of praise. Are, are you following Jesus? Is it time to wake up? Is it time to straighten up? Is it time to to stand up? And instead of becoming so overwhelmed, Melvin, with everything that's going on, for goodness sakes, to say, God, even in this, I'm going to trust you because I want to experience your peace. Would you bow with me today? You know, with our heads bowed, I just want you to, in the quietness of this moment, to begin thanking God, to rejoicing in Him and thanking Him for all the things that He's done, even the simplest of things. It'd be a great time right now for you just to take, just to take a breath. Take a breath and thank him. Thank God that you have the privilege of speaking directly to him. Thank him for his unconditional love. Thank God for the gift of salvation that he's made available through his son. 
Jesus. For those of us that are in this room and listening to my voice, you know, it's easy to dwell on the negative. It's easy to lose sight of our Heavenly Father's goodness and His love. And for those of us that have neglected rejoicing today, it's a moment for us just to rejoice and to be thankful, to dwell on His goodness and grace. Father, this is what I pray today. I pray that you would help our attitudes and our actions be such that those around us, would, there would be no doubt that we're different, that there's a sense of peace because of your presence, because of our trust, because you're dependable, you are trustworthy. That others would come to know you because of the reflection that they see in us and that they too would experience this rest in this joy and in the quietness of the moment just take a few just take a few minutes or moments and just reflect give thanks there are areas of inconsistencies it's a great inconsistencies, it's a great time just to, to ask the Lord for forgiveness, to ask him to strengthen you in those areas and help you mature in those areas. For the areas that you've fallen and you've faltered, you struggled, it's a good time to go before the Lord and just say, Jesus, forgive me. Enlarge my faith. Father, thank you for this time, for the privilege that we have of reading your word and being encouraged by what Paul said going back 2,000 years ago and to recognize that those words that Paul wrote back then are not just applicable for those, but they're applicable for us, that God, we can rejoice and we can be considerate and we can be prayerful. We can be expectant. It's time for us to wake up. And for the person that doesn't know Jesus even today, would they be willing to yield themselves and cry out to you and say, Jesus, save me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, we talk about rejoicing. What greater practical way for us to be able to demonstrate that attitude of, of rejoicing and thankfulness by celebrating the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper being a time that we go back and we remember the suffering and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that he paid on Calvary when he became the Lamb of God who was sacrificed for our sins. In the Old Testament, it was through celebrations of festivals and feasts that the people of God would remember the greatness of God and who he was so that they would never forget. We are reminded today that it was in the New Testament that Jesus himself instituted the Lord's Supper as a way that so that we would never forget his sacrifice and the price that was paid so that we can live in freedom from sin and be part of God's family. Sometimes, sometimes when, when people haven't participated or seen the Lord's Supper, if you're here visiting with us, there's questions, you know, who, who, who participates in the Lord's Supper? Well, the, the answer to that is those of us that are followers of Christ that have asked Jesus to be Lord of our lives, those of us that are seeking to live a life to following him, 
And if you're here today and you're not a follower of Christ, you're just, you know, if you would just sit quietly. But I guess the question at hand is, what is it that keeps you from making that decision today? In Paul's instructions of the Lord's Supper, he told us that we're to examine our lives in Corinthians. That we're to go before the Lord and examine, and today we want to give just a few minutes for you to be able to examine your life, to go before the Lord, to ask questions. You know, is there, is there any unconfessed sin in my life? Is there a broken relationship? Is there something that needs to be dealt with? Do I need to go before the Lord? The Bible says that God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so before we partake of the Lord's Supper and read what Paul had written as instructions to the church, we're going to take just a moment of silence and then I'll come back and we'll complete our time of celebrating the Lord's Supper. But would you just examine your lives during this time of quiet? Would you do that? It was Paul in his written account of what took place that night that wrote and gave us these words. He goes on to say that I received from the Lord, which also I passed on to you, the Lord Jesus Christ, on the night that he was betrayed, that he took the bread. That he took that bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It was a symbol of God's body which would be broken and would be bruised as he would be crucified for our sake. And Paul would go on to write that in the same way after supper he took the cup saying, this is my cup. The cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What a blessing it is for us to partake of the Lord's Supper. For us to be able to give thanks and to remember the great things that God has done. You know, and as we walk out these doors, for us to be reminded that we have so much to be thankful for, because I promise you, you're going to be bombarded from every different area of to get you involved in conversations, to get you involved in, in just attitudes of what are happening. It is, it, is, it is so easy for us to be so overwhelmed at these times, but my prayer, my challenge, my encouragement for you to, is to remember that we know the ending of the story. Don't become overwhelmed and suffocated by those, by those stories, but may we stay focused on the story of Jesus and be reminded of who he is and what we have as a result of his grace and love. I love what the Bible has to say that as the early believers gathered, it said they devoted themselves to hanging out together and fellowshipping with one another, studying the word together and ministering to one another. And you know, that's my challenge also today. Not only that as we go out, that we go out not becoming distracted, not being whiners and complainers, but rejoicing over what Jesus has done. But also we would take these words and we would seek to live them out because, let me say this, the world is looking for hope. And if they don't see it in Christ's followers, where are they going to find it? 
If they don't see it within the church, where are they going to get it? Jesus. He's the only answer. Father, I pray for us as we walk out these doors today that we would just be overwhelmed with a sense of gratitude and thankfulness. And that, Lord, that we would rejoice because of what you've done. We would be reminded consistently not to be overwhelmed by those pressures that may press in upon us. But in those moments, Father, we would take a breath and we would remind ourselves to be thankful. Not to worry, but to pray about everything, to thank you for what you've done. And to consider it done because you are a faithful God. I pray that there would be a sense of, of, uh, of, of Father, just earnest, earnest, an earnest sense, a, a sense of, of, of we have to go get this done. Um, Father, that we, we have to tell others about the hope that we have in Jesus, not just to live it out, but to share the hope of Christ, because how will they know unless, unless we tell them? May we have that sense of, of, of thought about us, Lord, as we walk out these doors that we've been sent out as your ambassadors. Thank you for the privilege of spending time together with this family. Father, may you encourage us as we encourage one another. May others see Jesus in us as we seek to live out a legacy of faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.